Hey guys, I'm Paul Bates and this is the Fermentation Podcast. Join me on this journey to put fermentation into practice, create culture, and revive this lost art that connects all of us to our cultures of the past. Today is Friday, November 21st, 2014, and this is episode number 15. So today I'm actually doing the Thanksgiving episode, and I know we're only about a week, I guess less than a week away now, we have about six days, but I figured I would go over a lot of different recipes and maybe some ideas to get you started on appetizers or side dishes or maybe a few desserts here and there, some sodas or drinks or you know wine or whatever to add into the meal, just different ways to add fermentation into your Thanksgiving meal. And then also just to, to remind you what Thanksgiving is. You know, it's not some crazy time where you go out shopping. This is a time when, you know, it's focused around food and family and friends. And it's I guess it's like all the Fs, fun, and it's definitely not fasting. So anyways, I, I really hope you enjoy this episode. I went all around the internet, tried to find a, a bunch of different recipes relating to Thanksgiving. And, and I hope you guys visit those different links that I, I found here and there, or even visit fermentationpodcast.com. But before I get into the show, all the topics and links for today's show will be in the show notes at fermentationpodcast.com. If you'd like to get a hold of me, email me at paul at fermentationpodcast.com or go to the website, click on the contact button on the top. You can also connect to me on Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, and Twitter. Just go to fermentationpodcast.com. You should see the links in the sidebar. Also, as always, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, head out to the website, click on the guest button on the top. There's also a, a guest submission form that I have there for you to fill out. So anyways, let's talk Thanksgiving. So getting into the show, seeing as how Thanksgiving is literally right around the corner and now actually less than a week away, I wanted to give you guys some fermentation ideas for Thanksgiving on how to incorporate some fermented foods and drinks into your Thanksgiving meal. The good news is that this is extremely easy to do since there's already a ton of fermentation in Thanksgiving meals. I mean, there's things like brined olives and pickles and wine, but there are ways to make some of your more traditional fresh foods fermented, and that's what I'm going to go over today. And also toward the end of the show, I figured I'd throw in some tips and tricks to get more flavor out of your meal and possibly give you more ideas, you know, to put twists on your favorite ferments. So guess what? You have less than one week to go, and the clock is ticking your time away. I mean, today is Friday, and Thanksgiving is on Thursday, so that's really only maybe six days. And it's actually even less than that if you want to incorporate some more like homemade ferments into your meal. So for most things on Thanksgiving, you know, you can start the day before, but for fermented foods and drinks, you definitely need more time than that. And some things in this time frame, you know, they've already actually well expired many months ago, like making things like mead, which is the honey wine. But the good news is there's actually still a lot of things that you can bring into your Thanksgiving meal that don't take so long, that maybe take a few days. And since you have six days, you know, you have six days to play with here. You can start today on different pickles or lacto-fermented sodas, or just to, you know, get your mind wrapped around the different recipes that you want to incorporate. And yes, you know, you can do things like sauerkraut or kimchi or any of the other traditional types of ferments that we talk about normally on the show. But today I'm going to try to focus a little more on traditional Thanksgiving foods that you would think of, like, you know, mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce and pumpkin pie and things like that when you think of Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is a time where people bring probably more real good food, more fresh vegetables and more fruits and just great home-cooked things into the, the meal than any other time of year, probably even more than Christmas or 
really any other time. This is like, you know, side dishes are the stars of the show most of the time. Because you normally think of cranberry sauce and stuffing or dressing, depending on which area of the country you're in. But this is the time to take the harvest and turn it into something special. And I definitely think fermentation can help a lot with that. So before I get into any of like the recipes or anything, I'd also like to mention that, you know, Thanksgiving really is a time for giving thanks and a time to reflect on your life and just think about all the things that you're actually thankful for, like family and health and being prosperous and having more liberty in your life. This is the time of year you've worked the entire season, you know, whether it's at a job or you've actually worked in the garden. And after everything was done, after all the work that you put in, this is the fruits of your labor. This was a time when, say, after the harvest was done, after all of the hard work, you'd sit back and realize there's nothing else for you to do. This is a time to just rest. A time to rest and cook up a big feast and know that you're going to make it through the winter. Much farther back than, you know, we can remember since we've only been alive for so long. There was a time when, you know, this physical hard work and all this planning and preparation for the harvest, this meant life or death. You know, you were going to eat in the the wintertime or, you know, you're going to starve. So really, Thanksgiving is just a, a time to look back on what you've done throughout the year. You know, what you've done to forward yourself, forward your liberty, what you've actually done to prepare for the future. And back then, that was, you know, preparing for the wintertime. And our cultures of the past, you know, our own personal cultures, our family, our family line, our grandparents, they've actually passed something down very special to us. And that's the knowledge of how to prepare for the future. And also the tradition of once you're done preparing, you know, once you're done preparing for either the winter or those economic hard times, you can take some time and reflect on what you've done. Relax, spend time with family, and taste all of these amazing flavors that have grown in the garden all year long. And I'm going to put a link in today's show for something for you guys to go listen to. Every year on the Survival Podcast, Jack Spirico's Survival Podcast, he does the Thanksgiving special show. He talks about much of what we've actually learned about Thanksgiving is either wrong or inaccurate and how Thanksgiving actually became a way for our nation to heal and reunite after a, a terrible war. How Thanksgiving's been moved around from date to date in, you know, the past, and what feasting actually meant a hundred years ago prior to the generation, you know, that we know of today, and a lot of which what we've forgotten. I think you'll really enjoy giving that a listen. And I think Thanksgiving a hundred years ago probably applies more today than what we would think of as you know, Black Friday shopping and the crazy people out there going out, you know, the day after Thanksgiving and now terribly on Thanksgiving to go shopping rather than spending this time with your family and cooking a great meal. So anyways, what I'm trying to get at is try not to forget what Thanksgiving actually means. It's a time to pause, reflect on your hard work, spend time with your family and just be thankful for everything that's going good in your life. And I got to tell you guys, it's a great time to be alive. We have so much going for us. There's so much knowledge out there. And all we have to do is just keep these traditions alive. And like I always say, you know, connect to your cultures of the past. So that's just a few thoughts from me on Thanksgiving. And now if there's one day out of the whole year where fermentation shines the brightest, it's probably Thanksgiving. And also probably, you know, not coincidentally, greens and vegetables and just the bounty from the garden. So let me get started into this. 
I think you really have to picture, you know, what do you want your Thanksgiving table to look like? Starting with appetizers, I would probably steer you towards the first recipe I ever posted on my website, and that was the homemade dill pickle recipe. If you can get out to the farmer's market right now and find some of those tiny cucumbers, definitely pick some of those up because they make a great appetizer. And it's probably one of the easiest ones to to get people to try because everybody who loves pickles is probably going to love homemade dill pickles. And I'm not going to actually go into detail on all these recipes, but I'm just going to kind of steer you toward these recipes and just give you a general overview of what they all entail. So my dill pickle recipe, it is actually fairly easy. You know, you just ferment like a, a normal pickle. It just has um, onions, garlic, some different spices. And you can definitely get this done before Thanksgiving. You know, six days is probably plenty of time. Maybe some of you in the, the northern climates, you might have to just be on the border there. But the nice thing about a, an underdone dill pickle, it doesn't really matter. You could set those cucumbers out on the table, say not fermented, and people would still probably pick them up and eat them. So even if they're just slightly fermented and they're not done yet, they're still going to taste great. So I'll put a link in the, the show to all these different recipes that I'm going to talk about. But the first one, I just wanted to put, you know, my homemade dill pickles because I, I just love them so much. And the next recipe, say you mess up your pickles and they're too soft. Just recently, I went over a, a pretty cool idea of, say you have really soft pickles, you can actually blend them up. If And if you have a dehydrator, you just pour that onto dehydrating sheets, dehydrate them into like a, a leather blend them up, and then you have a a really good spice, like a a dill pickle salt. So if you're going to make any kind of potatoes or whatnot, and you need like a a pickle kind of a flavor, but you also need salt, try this, fermented dill pickle salt. It's pretty good. And for those of you out there, say you can't really find cucumbers, but there's still watermelon around, you can try actually fermenting watermelon rinds. That's actually pretty good too. I mean, I've done that, and the, the texture is still there. It still tastes... Very similar to like a, a regular homemade dill pickle. Just a, a slightly different texture, but it, it's kind of fun too when you have that on the table. You know, it's kind of a conversation piece. Like, oh, I didn't know, you know, you could ferment watermelon rinds. And Cultures for Health here has a, a recipe for that where you just use the rinds, sea salt, filtered water, and then just whichever spices you want. And another recipe, which is, you know, similar, but if you want a picture of it, you can head over to Melanie Hoffman's website, Pickle Me Too, and she has a, a picture of fermented watermelon rinds, you know, what you can expect. And I've actually made these before, and probably one tip would be to actually peel the outside first. So if you cut the watermelon rinds into slices and you're going to pickle them, make sure to take the outside layer off because it is kind of tough. Another idea for the Thanksgiving table, say some people actually like okra, and I have one recipe that I had made for pickled okra, which is fermented almost exactly the same as uh, regular dill pickles, so I'll put a a link in the show notes to that. But make sure if you're going to be pickling okra, try to get them as young as possible, maybe only like two, three inches, because once you start fermenting them, you know, four or five inches, they're actually pretty tough. Another kind of fun appetizer that you might have on your Thanksgiving table would be fermented carrot sticks. And I have uh, three different recipes here that I'll go over. And the first one is actually from a couple ladies that I had on the show not too long ago, the Olardi ladies. And this one is like a a traditional ferment, but they kind of get it started with whey. They use carrots, sea salt, dill, garlic, and just filtered water and just ferment it out. And another one from Melanie at Pickle Me Too Say if you want more of a spicy kind of a, a fermented carrot. She does basically the same thing, but just adds um, crushed red pepper. So if you want to spice it up a bit. 
And it's pretty much the same kind of a recipe at, over at Food Renegade, except they use a, the outer leaf of a, a cabbage to keep them submerged. So before, when I had um, Kelly and Tamara on, they were giving ideas for you know different foods that kids might try. And the one that they recommended the most was probably the fermented carrot sticks. So maybe you should give that a try. Also, a big player in Thanksgiving is green beans. And you can definitely cook green beans and, you know, add some great flavor. I usually like to have um, green beans cooked in a pan with garlic and maybe even some orange rind. But a couple of extra recipes to throw into the mix. Say you wanted to just have, like, raw green beans on the table, you can actually ferment those, too. And another one from Pickle Me Too. She actually just uses green beans, garlic cloves, onion, crushed red chilies again, some fresh dill, and a 2% brine solution. So maybe you might want to give that a try see what that tastes like. And another one, which is basically the same idea, over at um, Fickle.com, is uh, Amanda Pfeiffer. She gives uh, her hot and spicy green bean pickles, which she adds uh, hot pepper flakes, but also some Fresno or uh, cayenne peppers. Uh, I bet that tastes pretty good. But, you know, if you don't like spicy, you can always leave the peppers out and just have the, the nice sour taste of green beans on the counter there. And I'm sure you'll have to warn the guests, you know, once they're out, you know, there is no more. You can't just make those up. You can't cook up another batch of those. They take a, you know, a few days. I guess one last idea, say if you were going to experiment with lacto-fermented green beans, you could maybe try to, to throw some of those into your um, green bean casserole. I don't know how it would turn out. I've never tried it, but it might be an interesting idea. Another thing you'll probably find on a, a lot of different Thanksgiving tables is a little bowl of pearled onions. So instead of actually buying a jar of pearled onions, you know, maybe you can try to pickle some of those. And Cultured for Health actually has a recipe over here. Pearled onions, a salt brine, and maybe even adding a, a little bit of a, a brine from a previous recipe. So that's a basic recipe. If you want a little more uh, herbs and spices in there, Gratefully Nourished also makes that, except they add a, a cinnamon stick, whole cloves, juniper berries, peppercorns, oregano, thyme, salt, and a little bit of whey. So that might taste a little more interesting than just like a, a plain recipe. But plain pearled onions fermented, I'm sure that has tons of flavor. So either one of those, you know, you might even try to, to try something different. Just some ideas to get you going. Staying in the same realm as appetizers, uh, you can try some different things with cauliflower. Another one from Pickle Me Too, she just takes cauliflower, onion, fresh dill, garlic, and then just a salt brine. And she says this is one of her favorite snacks to make. So that might be kind of a, a neat little snack to put on there. Some chopped up fermented cauliflower. Cultures for Health does something similar, but they actually add like a, a curry powder. So it's almost like a, a fermented cauliflower with an Indian twist to it. So that might be an interesting one to try also. Heading over to the kitchen, they have one with a lot of cauliflower in it, but they also add uh, chunks of other things like carrots, red bell peppers, um, garlic, and then a bunch of different spices like coriander, black pepper, a bay leaf, and then maybe some grape leaves to keep it fresh. Another nice looking one from Jessica over at Delicious Obsessions. She actually makes cauliflower and this looks heavily spiced. You can tell it's like a, a really orange type of a fermented cauliflower. But she actually takes curry powder, chili powder, cayenne, turmeric, garlic, and sea salt. And that's that's basically like everything that she puts in there. And that looks really interesting. So if you know you like Indian spices, you gotta try some of these, see what they taste like. Something else that's always on the Thanksgiving table, you know, when we have Thanksgiving, is always like a bowl of either black or green brined olives. 
And, you know, I would love to give you a recipe to do that, but you are way behind in time on that because that takes months and months to actually ferment that all the way out and take a lot of the, the bitterness away. But what I will tell you is, you know, if you have a Publix next to you or some kind of like a, a Whole Foods type of a store, just pick up some nice olives. Don't get like a, a jar of those, you know, vinegar brined olives that are just have been sitting there for, I don't know, a year or months or whatever. If you have one near you, go to a, a place where there's an olive bar. And yeah, you know, it's a little bit more per pound for the olives, but they're actually fresh olives and they're normally tossed around in olive oil with all kinds of spices. And you might even find, you know, a lot of different interesting flavors there. They usually mix it up and make really interesting brined olives. And I have to say, near me at a, a local farmer's market, I had a couple of people that were selling brined olives and they were some of the best I've ever tasted. They had these black olives. I forget what they were even called, but they had this flavor that I had never tried before, and I'll probably never even find it again if I don't see them again. But if you've never picked up olives at an olive bar and compared it to the ones in the jar, it's totally different. It's a it's a really nice flavor. So I definitely encourage you guys to, if you like olives, you know, if you like the taste of fermented olives, go to an olive bar, you know, grab maybe three, four different packs and just fill it up with all kinds of uh, different flavors. That's definitely a nice finger food to put a, a, a pile of toothpicks by. The next one is another recipe from uh, Amanda over at Fickle.com. And this is for her preserved lemon hummus, where she actually takes some uh, chickpeas, adds garlic to it, maybe even roasts the garlic, adds a, a roasted tahini, which is a, a ground sesame paste that's normally in hummus. And then she also adds preserved lemons, so if you just happen to have preserved lemons around, this is a great one to try, you know, if you're going to have hummus at your Thanksgiving table. And she has a beautiful picture to go along with that. The next one I have here is extremely flavorful, but it's not a typical ferment like you would think of as like a, a dill pickle recipe or something like that. But it contains an ingredient that is fermented, which is balsamic vinegar. And I actually tried this for the first time at a restaurant called The Garlic when they brought out an appetizer. And it's a roasted garlic head. So if you were to make this, turn your oven on, I would guess maybe 350, 400, uh, oil up a couple of garlic heads, or maybe even like several, like um, five, 10 of these, and put them in the oven for, I think it's maybe 20 minutes to a half hour, soften them up, and then chop the whole head in half, and you can actually squeeze the garlic out. Once you squeeze this oven-roasted garlic out, it becomes kind of like a garlic type of a paste. And you mix this with balsamic vinegar and olive oil, and it makes an amazing dip for bread. So I don't necessarily have a recipe off the top of my head for that, but that's the general idea. And you, you really don't need a recipe. You just put it in the oven, bake it till it's soft, squeeze it out, mix it up, and you have an amazingly flavorful dip. The next one also involves balsamic vinegar, and it's soaked cherry tomatoes in balsamic vinegar. So I would take, you know, however many uh, cherry tomatoes that you want to use for this recipe, chop them in half, and then soak them underneath a, a balsamic vinegar for maybe 12 hours, 24 hours, leave them in the fridge so they can chill, and it will just soak up all of that balsamic tangy flavor in a, in a great little appetizer that you can put on the table also to go along with anything else. 
This next one is actually by the Fermentistas, who have a, a book on fermenting vegetables. But they call this Technicolor Pickled Eggs. And there are four different colors of these pickled eggs that you can actually pick from. They call it Yellow Brick Road, Ruby Slippers, The Field of Magical Poppies, and The Emerald City, which is, you know, kind of clever on the, the Wizard of Oz theme. So if you want more of like a, a yellow pickled egg, you would choose a sauerkraut that's more made with turmeric or golden beets, and you would ferment the eggs in that for a little while to get the eggs this kind of golden color. For the ruby slippers, which is more red or fuchsia, you would put the eggs in a, a beet kraut, or I would even think like a, a beet kvass, to turn them more red. And that's probably typically what people would think of when they think of pickled eggs. You know, when you go into a, a Jewish deli, there would be a, a jar there that's red, and then inside you have these eggs that soak up all that red color. The Field of Magical Poppies is more of an orange color, so they say to use like a, a spicy kimchi. You know, kimchi is more like an orange type of red, so you can put the eggs in there for, you know, however long to get them to soak up that orange color. And last, the Emerald City, in terms of green, I guess you would do more of like a, a ferment involving greens. So you don't think of greens typically being fermented, but I guess maybe you could try like a, a spinach or mustard greens or kale or something like that. I'm sure it would be very bitter, but if you want more of the color, I'm sure that's what would give the eggs that color. The next appetizer you would almost always see on a table would be blocks of cheese. And it's much too late now to make any hard cheeses with only like six days left. But you can actually make some of the softer cheeses like ricotta or mozzarella fairly quickly in comparison to say like a Swiss cheese or a cheddar cheese. You know, whereas they take like weeks or months to, to actually cure. And Cultures for Health has quite a few recipes on their website for making uh, quite a few different types of cheeses. You'll just have to check on the times and which recipes that you're comfortable with. And of course, you can always go out to Whole Foods and pick up a block of interesting cheese rather than making it because it's a little more of a time-consuming process. But if you want to make a, a non-dairy cheese, I actually have on my website a recipe for a basic vegan fermented cashew cheese. And that turned out very well. It's really just made of cashews. And it's fermented with something called rejuvelac, which I've mentioned before, which is a sprouted grain beverage. But say if you don't have any rejuvelac and, you know, it takes like a few days or so to make the rejuvelac, you can actually also use um, sauerkraut juice and probably even like a, a pickle juice. So, you know, maybe mess around with that. But it makes a very good cheese. And when you first make it, it might take two, three days to, to make the first batch of it. And it's kind of soft. But if you were to make it right now and roll it up into a log, I would say in six days, the outside and almost toward the inside will start to get a little bit hard and set. So I think you still have time to make that if you wanted to try that. And of course, you can always put any kind of, you know, peppers or whatever else into this cheese just to make it taste however you want to add smoky flavor or whatever. But if you don't feel like making cheese, then just go out and pick some up. And in terms of the dairy realm, there's also butter and sour cream, which you probably use on just about everything. Don't go out and buy any of those partially hydrogenated uh, butters claiming to be butter. For me, I actually just don't use anything at all when I, I spread it onto a biscuit or something. I'll be more likely to use jelly or something along the lines of that. But this is something you can actually also make very easily yourself. 
and there are a lot of YouTube videos out there showing you how to make your own butter from like a heavy cream using a, a mason jar, which is pretty surprising. I guess you, you put it in there, you keep shaking, 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 and then finally the entire thing plops to one side and you have a big glob of butter there. And you don't even need to really refrigerate this. You leave it on the counter like traditionally you would and it'll develop like a, a tangy kind of a flavor. And same thing goes for sour cream. So if you have any recipes using any kind of butter or sour cream, I always suggest trying to make it yourself so you can give it more of a, a traditional great flavor than maybe something you would just kind of buy in the store. All right, so now moving on to side dishes. And the first side dish I always think of when I think of Thanksgiving would have to be cranberry sauce. And there are several recipes out there to actually ferment cranberry sauce. So let's start with a few of those. The first one I have here is from Cultures for Health. And they actually call this a cran apple relish recipe. So it's like a, a cranberry sauce, but it's more of like a relish also. They use red apples, cranberries, cinnamon, sugar, salt, and then some whey. And I guess they consider it more of a relish since it has a, a few other ingredients. But that could be a really interesting side dish. And another one from them, they actually call fermented apple cranberry chutney. So this one, it has cranberries, Granny Smith or Fuji apples, raisins, dates, honey, onions, celery, apple cider vinegar, and then a few spices like cinnamon, ginger, and ground cloves. And they actually make that with either whey or water kefir. So if you want more of a, a simple recipe, maybe the previous one, if you want lots of interesting ingredients, maybe check out this apple cranberry chutney recipe. The next one I actually kind of touched on in a previous podcast when I brought on the Olardi ladies. They have a fermented cranberry chutney here also. They use mostly cranberries, but there's also some pecans and there's honey and they use a little salt, whey, apple juice, cinnamon, cloves, and then juice from an orange or a lemon, and then some raisins. So that one sounds very interesting also. And it doesn't even use any apples. They use more of like a, an apple juice. The next one is from a blog called Homemade Mommy. And this one, they she actually called a fermented spicy cranberry relish. So if you want a little more interesting cranberry sauce than just like a, you know, regular, sounds like they spice it up a little bit. They use cranberries, one large orange, jalapenos, ginger, maple syrup, and then a, a brine of some sort. You know, whether it's sauerkraut or whey, or I'm sure you, you probably don't even necessarily need this, but maybe to get it kickstarted, you could try that. But that's a really interesting one. Imagine cranberry sauce that has jalapenos and ginger. How interesting is that? And the next kind of idea here in terms of cranberry sauces comes from the Glenn's website, which is a, a very popular kind of Whole Foods type of a website. And they list six different types of cranberry sauce that you can make. And rather going into all the different ingredients in there, I'll just kind of list off what the titles are. And they have a, a classic cranberry sauce, a jellied cranberry sauce with rosemary and honey, a spicy cranberry sauce, probably like the, the previous versions I was talking about, cranberry sauce with lime, so they call it a, a cranberry and lime salsa kind of kind of thing. Cranberry orange sauce with fresh mint. That sounds very interesting. And then uh, fermented cranberry sauce. So I'll put a link to that and you can check out the different recipes there. Next up in side dishes is fermented pumpkin butter. And this is another one we also talked about in the previous podcast with the Olardi ladies. This is where they actually took canned pumpkin, added apple juice, coconut sugar, cinnamon, nutmeg, clove, ginger, vanilla lemon juice, and then they added kind of a, a culture starter to it to get it going. So if you don't want just a, a traditional pumpkin butter, you could try this fermented version and see how that turns out. 
and a similar thing to the the pumpkin butter how about a fermented applesauce so i have a recipe here from pickle me too she uses a bunch of apples uh some salt a little bit of starter a cinnamon stick cloves a pinch of allspice lemon juice and then some honey so i bet that probably turned out very good and you know i'm sure that would be really good on a, a nice homemade biscuit and with this pumpkin butter and, you know, applesauce kind of a thing, I bet you could probably boil up a pile of sweet potatoes and substitute that in either, you know, the applesauce or the pumpkin butter recipe. And it would probably make it a really amazing fermented mashed potato type of a, a recipe. So it could be something interesting to try also. And in terms of sweet potatoes, uh, another one here from the Fermentistas. This actually sounds kind of interesting also. It's They just call it a, a sweet potato ferment. So they take five pounds of sweet potatoes and peel and slice them really thinly. Then they add uh, an onion, bell pepper, garlic, tomatoes, ginger root, coriander, cayenne, and then just some salt. And it looks like it's a, a regular type of a ferment. So it's not cooked sweet potatoes. It's actually fermented sliced sweet potatoes. And that sounds pretty interesting. They have a really nice picture of that too. So if you've seen this, it would probably make you kind of hungry seeing the beautiful colors of the sweet potatoes in there. And just thinking of sweet potatoes, it, it actually makes me think back to when my dad used to make a recipe that was passed down from his grandfather. So I guess that would be my great grandpa. And this is not actually a, a fermented recipe, so I'm kind of cheating here a little bit. But what he would do is actually take sweet potatoes, peel them, and then heat up a, a cast iron skillet. And then put a little bit of oil into the skillet, take the sweet potatoes, slice those fairly thinly, like maybe a, a quarter inch or so, and then sprinkle sugar into the cast iron skillet, and then just kind of place each slice into the cast iron skillet, and it would just kind of sizzle away, and then really just caramelize the, the outside of the sweet potato, cooking the inside of it also. And then he would just flip it over, add a little bit more sugar, and you have this delicious caramelized sweet potato. And, you know, you can also add a little bit of salt to it to, to give it more of a, a salty, sweet kind of a flavor. But, you know, I just kind of threw that in as like a bonus. It makes me nostalgic thinking of some of the different recipes I had growing up. And the past several years, you know, since my dad has passed away, actually every year I have this feeling that I, I need to include that recipe just brings up some great memories of the past, you know, when you take a bite of sweet potatoes that are caramelized. The next one I actually found on the Food Network's website, and it's called Roasted Potatoes, Carrots, Parsnips, and Brussels Sprouts. When you see this pile of different roots in there, you just roast them in the oven with some extra virgin olive oil. So you would do carrots, Brussels sprouts, uh, red potatoes, parsnips, sweet potatoes, and then add a bunch of different uh, herbs like oregano, rosemary, thyme, basil, sea salt, and then black pepper. But I would bet since these are roots, if you add some fermented dill pickle brine, I bet that would give it a, a really good flavor. So roasted veggies, roasted peppers, roasted potatoes, they make a, a great addition to a, a side dish. And this one I decided to throw in there also. It's a caramelized butternut squash, which kind of, you know, reminds me of the recipe I just gave you for the sweet potatoes. But it also makes me wonder, say if you caramelize this butternut squash, and then you put it in a mason jar with a little bit of brine or, you know, a little bit of starter, I bet that could possibly be interesting to try. The next one coming from the Food Network also is roasted cauliflower with dates and pine nuts. And like some of the recipes I gave you before on fermenting cauliflower, I bet if you do this recipe first and then follow it up with the fermentation, that could probably have a lot of flavor, you know, being roasted. So it'll add that smoky flavor in there beforehand. 
One last one from the Fermentistas. And I've almost kind of had this idea before, but they actually make a pickle soup. And what they do is kind of make a, a potato soup first. So they do potatoes, carrots, a broth, some onions, garlic, dill, and then they follow it up with different herbs and spices, but then they also grate large dill pickles into this soup. So that could be an interesting side dish also. If, if you like pickles, if you like potatoes, and you want something that maybe nobody has tried before, you can try this one. Which then leads me into something that I made not too long ago. In the past couple of weeks, I was thinking, what can I do with all this pickle brine I had? Because I made all of these pickles, and then we ate the pickles, and I had all this brine left over. I'm thinking, what can I do with this? And before, you know, I had made the, the pickle salt recipe, which is really cool. worked out very well. But what if I don't have any pickles and I just have the brine? So what I did was I took a whole bunch of potatoes. I boiled them up. And then once I mashed them up, normally I would add either some kind of um, a non-dairy milk or water or uh, some kind of a, a broth to make the potatoes kind of creamy. But instead, this time, I just added straight pickle juice. So you know how dill goes very well with potatoes. So imagine you have kind of a tangy, very dill pickle juice, and you add that to mashed potatoes, and you have a very interesting flavor that I can guarantee you has tasted totally different than any mashed potatoes you've ever had. And maybe some people might not like it, but I can probably guarantee that most people will probably like it. So if you're making mashed potatoes one night, instead of mashing it up with any kind of cream or butter or water or broth, just use straight pickle juice and see how you like that. And that'll definitely add a, a lot of flavor. But say... You know, some people use um, butter, sour cream, or heavy cream to add to mashed potatoes to really cream it up. But if you want a, a non-dairy version that's very, very creamy, all you have to do is use cashew milk. And for cashew milk, all you have to do is put half a cup of raw cashews in a blender, like a Vitamix, and then put two cups of water, blend it up until it's very fine, and you have this silky, white, creamy milk that will make really good French toast, makes really good mashed potatoes, makes really good creamy pasta. So that's just kind of a, a bonus in there. All right, so the next one I have for you guys is fermented mushrooms, which I've also brought up in a previous interview with um, the Olardi ladies. But they kind of brought this to my attention that you can ferment mushrooms. So what they do is actually they take one package of uh, mushrooms that you can make, probably button mushrooms or any kind of portobello, but then they add thyme, majorum, garlic, uh, sea salt, and then some kind of a starter culture. So once you make this, then you could actually make probably a gravy out of it. So say you have these fermented mushrooms, and then I have this recipe for this mushroom gravy that I've been making for years now, and Thanksgiving is just not complete without this gravy. We put it all over everything. And in this, I use a, a vegetable stock, an onion, cremini mushrooms, thyme, then I make it with a, a cashew milk, soy sauce, black pepper, and salt. And then just kind of blend that up into a, a really fine gravy that you can just use for anything. It's very savory, has, you know, fermented soy sauce in it. If you use the mushrooms that are actually fermented, I'm sure that will give it even more flavor. So I'll put the, the actual recipe in the show notes. Going into another area that's pretty popular for Thanksgiving would be sourdough bread. And I've covered this also on the show when I made an artisan multigrain no-knead bread recipe. 
And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But you can actually make this bread, and it is so good. It's so crusty. And say you actually chop this up into squares and then roast it in the oven, then you can actually make a great stuffing or a dressing out of it. I actually have a, a great stuffing recipe that I'll put in the show notes also that I, I tend to make pretty much every Thanksgiving. And that involves um, onions and and apples and the bread recipe that I just mentioned. There's a lot of savory herbs like sage. And say in the same kind of a, a grain section, you could even make your own sourdough crackers. That might go pretty well with some of the previous appetizers I talked about. Those are just a few ideas in the, the grain area. But if you want a, a great bread, though, I would, I would definitely try that bread. And if you start it with a sourdough starter, it'll have that little bit of tang that sourdough is known for. And then going into desserts, you can actually stick to the same sourdough idea and use your sourdough starter for your pie crust. And that can make some great pumpkin pie. And I have a great link here from Ganoflin's. That's a, a recipe for pumpkin pie that's gluten-free, dairy-free, and egg-free. And you, when you see the picture of this, it just looks so rich. And some other desserts that could be, you know, more of like a, a homemade fermentation, make some homemade whipped cream to go along with that. And toward the end of the meal, when dessert comes out, don't forget to add, you know, some of the other classic fermentations like coffee and bars of chocolate. And don't cheap out and just get like, you know, the cheap bars of chocolate. Get like a couple bars of the fine lint chocolate or maybe lint bars that have a, an interesting flavor like sea salt or blueberry or raspberry. And also when you bring the desserts out, another one that I've really grown accustomed to being around a, a French Canadian family is during dessert, they also serve ice wine or ice cider. And that's actually frozen grapes that are on the vine that they make wine or cider out of. And it turns out tremendously sweet, which is why they call it a dessert wine. So you might actually have a problem finding ice cider unless you're in Canada, but you can definitely find ice wine. There's some really good ones out there like Inniskillen or a few other ones in the Niagara area. So then that leads me into drinks. And normally, you know, throughout a Thanksgiving meal, you know, you might start off with a red or kind of like a, a dry Chardonnay type of wine. And some people like my wife, she really loves the sweet Moscato or a German Riesling. And maybe if you have special guests that are coming over and you want to make it more of like an event than a normal Thanksgiving, you break out the champagne. And, you know, if you want to twist on champagne, try a red champagne which is more made from red grapes and sometimes can even be very sweet. And like I said before, it's it's much too late to make wine, make mead, make beer, but you can go out and pick up a nice bottle. If you want to try something different than wine, try mead. If you can find a, a good bottle of mead, I would definitely suggest trying that. And you you might even serve that during dessert because it's it's almost in between a regular wine and a dessert wine because it's so sweet sometimes unless you get a mead that's been fermented all the way out and then it can even be kind of dry like a chardonnay and for those that don't drink wine you know you can even get like any kind of special type of a homebrew or a craft brew type of beer you know maybe you're done with the meal and you want to sit out by the fire or maybe you even want to drink like a cider. And Ariana Mullins, one of the, the first people I ever brought onto the show from andherewear.net, she has some great recipes out there for cider. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And there's even a few other ones out there. So say you don't drink wine, you don't drink mead, you don't drink beer or cider because of the alcohol. You can also make different kinds of sodas, like a lacto-fermented soda, ginger ale, and there's a few also from her 
the first fermented blackberry soda I ever made was actually from her, and that's how I found her in the first place. She also has a great recipe for making rhubarb soda, and all of these are, are very colorful. And I've done a whole previous podcast on how to make ginger ale, lacto-fermented sodas. I'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can go back and listen to that whole thing. But it's definitely not too late to make a ginger ale also. I've brought ginger ale to gatherings, and everybody's always so amazed at how different it tastes compared to a store-bought ginger ale. And if you like the bubbly soda type of realm, try a water kefir. And if you don't like something so sweet, you can try to make a, a traditional Russian kvass, which you take and ferment breadcrumbs into a bubbly kind of a, a drink. And you could even get into kombucha on Thanksgiving. I've, I've brought it over for different events. People try it, find it interesting. Maybe not so much for Thanksgiving, but there's actually a recipe I have on here from Pickle Me Too, and she makes a, a spicy pineapple cranberry kombucha. So maybe that would go along, you know, in the whole cranberry realm. And then if you want to get even kind of crazier, maybe you can set up a few pickle shots, see if anybody wants to try some pickle juice or kraut juice as an actual shot. That's a little out of the traditional Thanksgiving realm, but, you know, it might be kind of interesting. So now just for some tips for, you know, to get better flavor. Say you have veggies or asparagus or zucchini, butternut squash, sweet potatoes, garlic. Just roast them. Roast them in the oven. Roast them on the grill. And you get that roasted flavor and it just adds a, a depth to the flavor that you can't quite get otherwise. Another kind of fun tradition that we've added in the last couple of years. Say we're sitting out by the fire and maybe the, the meal isn't quite done yet. You can have a fire going wrap up some either sweet potatoes or white potatoes and just put them into the coals. Within about an hour, you know, you'll have roasted potatoes from a fire and it has a little bit of a smoky smell to it. So that's kind of fun. Another one would be, say you have, you're using whole spices or nuts like sesame seeds, cumin, coconut flakes, pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, pine nuts, toast those. So take a pan, put it on medium, maybe medium high, sprinkle the, the top of the pan, coat it with a, you know, a layer of the seeds or the herbs, you know, the whole herbs that you're using. Just kind of toss the pan around for maybe 20, 30 seconds or so, and it gets this toasty depth to it that you also can't get otherwise unless you toast it. So there's a, a cooking element in here that if you add it, it just completely changes a recipe and, and adds that special something that you're not sure what it is, but it tastes great. And instead of sautéing with water or oil, sauté in a broth like a vegetable broth, homemade chicken broth, or even, you know, add wine to your cooking, you know, whether it's white or red. By the time you're done cooking, you know, whatever it is, the alcohol will burn off so you don't have to worry about the alcohol content. You'll actually have the, the flavor there. And you can even sauté with beer, I guess, also. Another one, if you want to add tons of flavor, and I've been meaning to try this and I've heard great things about it, but say if you're cooking something like carrots, maybe beforehand, juice some of the carrots. So you have pure carrot juice and cook those carrots in its own carrot juice. And that's supposed to add some big flavor. And we have a couple of friends that also served up carrots and they cooked it in bourbon. And wow, what a flavor that was. Bourbon carrots with like a, a sweet, uh, they added some sugar to that. You can even add maple syrup and what an amazing flavor that was. And finally, one of the most important things I think is to use fresh herbs. And you know, throughout the cooking, use as many fresh herbs as you can. But probably the most important tip I think, you know, when you're using fresh herbs, 
But at the end, when whatever you're cooking is finally done, chop up some fresh herbs and mix that in at the very, very end, like right before you're about to serve it. And you'll have that fresh herb flavor that, you know, normally when you cook herbs, it kind of like cooks out a lot of the flavor. Now, the same goes for garlic, too. You know, at the very end, maybe add you know, some minced garlic to it, and you'll get that spice of the fresh garlic and some of the compounds that are actually destroyed when you cook it. And a lot of the herbs you can use would be like fresh basil, fresh thyme, oregano, cilantro, rosemary, mint, sage, and savory. You know, these are going to be like the stars of the show in a lot of these appetizers and side dishes. And, you know, the other tip, just try to make as much as you can fresh. You know, I know we're all limited on time, but this is the one day of the year to give this fresh food that's been growing from the earth, you know, it's time to shine. This is a celebration of food, a celebration of your hard work. It's a celebration and relaxation time. You know, make sure not to use GMOs. You know, GMOs, they're basically created to be sprayed with tons of pesticide. I'm sure that can affect the flavor a little bit. And, of course, your health also, mostly from the the pesticide residue and the herbicide residue. And I didn't cover any main dishes, you know, like the turkey or or whatever, because normally the main dish is like a a turkey or duck or chicken or ham. And, you know, for herbivores, it's the tofurkey roast. But really, when it comes to fermentation, you really don't have any main dishes that are fermented. You don't ferment the turkey. You know, you don't ferment the ham or duck. That's on its own. And all these fermentation, all these fermented foods and fermented drinks, it just adds to the meal. That's what fermentation is supposed to be. It's a, it's an addition. It's preserving the harvest and extending the harvest a little farther. And it's just that little bit that you add to your diet, that great flavor. So I leave all the main dish stuff to you guys, but all of the side dishes, all of the appetizers, those are probably the stars of the show. And fermentation can definitely make that so much better. And, you know, don't forget to toast with some fermentation. Toast some wine. Toast some champagne. Maybe have a, a drink of coffee at the very end or a bite of chocolate. And by far, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I just wanted to throw some ideas out there, you know, so you guys can get started. There's never been a time in history where there's been more information out there in terms of recipes and how to do things, how to cook things at any other time. You know, younger generations, it's crazy. They're losing their cooking skills as they switched over to packaged food. When at the same time, there's so much information out there to show them how to do this. All they have to do is, you know, connect to their cultures of the past. And yeah, you know, a lot of this stuff I go over, there's so many different recipes and so many different things that you can make. If you get overwhelmed and you you can't make all of this, why not have a potluck? Invite over family members and tell them just to bring one kind of thing. Maybe add a little ferment in there. And potlucks can definitely alleviate this. I used to go to a potluck every year for a vegan Thanksgiving. And it's amazing. You bring one or two or three dishes and you have a gigantic meal in front of you. And there's so many people there, you know, have family just bring one or two dishes. And the other thing, you know, like I was saying in the beginning, this is a time for relaxation, being with family. If you don't have that much family, be with friends. But there's this insidious thing happening now where they're actually opening a lot of stores on Thanksgiving, you know, for a a pre-Black Friday holiday sale. And now it's just known as November because everything's on sale all the time during November. But don't fall into the trap of, you know, going out shopping on Thanksgiving. You know, this is not a time for shopping. It's time to relax and taste all the flavors that you can. And don't worry about your waistline or exercise. This is just a a time to pause and give thanks. Be with your family. 
eat a lot of great food, and just enjoy yourself. And, you know, some of the things I'm thankful for, thankful for a great family. I'm thankful to be alive. I'm so thankful for you guys listening to me. And if you have any, you know, more ideas or links for great fermentation recipes for Thanksgiving, you know, put those in the, the, you know, the comments on the show notes. Send me an email. Tell me that you really appreciate this episode. You know, I hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. You know, we have just under a week left. And I, I wish all of you guys, you know, happy Thanksgiving, eat a lot of great food, and don't get too lost in your food coma. So everything I went over, all the recipes, I'll put them in the show notes, and I invite you guys to come out to fermentationpodcast.com, leave some comments on today's show, you know, let me know what you think, or if you have any questions. Also, don't forget to subscribe and get updates of new shows and blog posts by email. So this has been Paul Bates of the Fermentation Podcast, encouraging you to put fermentation into practice, Ferment responsibly and get out there and create some culture.